Calvary's mountain, one dreadful morn, walk Christ my Savior, weary and worn, facing for sinners, death on the cross, that he might save them from endless loss. Blessed Redeemer, precious Redeemer, seems now I see him on Calvary's tree. Wounded and bleeding for sinners pleading, blind and unheeding, dying for me. Oh, how I love him, Savior and friend. How shall my praises ever find end? Through years unnumbered on heaven's shore, my tongue shall praise him forevermore. Blessed Redeemer, precious Redeemer, seems now I see him on Calvary's tree. Wounded and bleeding for sinners pleading, blind and unheeding, kids ages four years old through fourth grade, four years old through fourth grade. studying through the passage. Now, we've just had a New Year's, New Year's, and a lot of people on New Year's, they start making resolutions, and one of those for Christians is oftentimes, I'm going to read through my Bible in, in a year, right? And it's a good resolution. But oftentimes in Christianity, we tend to gravitate to extremes, right? We have certain parts of Christianity that maybe they have a mindless enthusiasm. It's all passion, excitement, and no meat to it, right? But on the other side, we have a dead intellectualism. And I think oftentimes in our types of churches, this is where we tend to gravitate towards, is that, that dead intellectualism side. The Bible is our sole source of authority. We pour over its passages trying to understand its meaning and, and what, what the doctrinal teachings are within the text. And we want to go deep within the meaning of the scriptures. But I think a lot of times we forget why the Bible was written. What is its overall purpose? It isn't to make us a bunch of eggheads and PhDs and scholars, but it is to reveal God to us. It is to allow us to have a relationship with God himself. And so I think, I think one thing that we need to realize, and, I, and can I make this statement here, that you can read the Bible and not have a relationship with God. It is fully possible to read the words that are on this page and to totally miss the relationship side of things. And we need to keep our focus on that aspect. Honestly, when it comes to New Year's Eve resolutions, I, I applaud you if you decide, I'm going to read the Bible every single day. But if in doing so, you totally miss this aspect, you've wasted your time. And we need to go, we need to get to the primary purpose for why we seek after 
God in his word. A relationship with God is not a mere list of facts. It's not meant, but it is not a list of doctrinal creeds alone. It is meant to be experienced, it is meant to be enjoyed, and it is meant to be sought after, something that we seek after. But oftentimes in modern Christianity, we have, come, we, have, we have lived as if we were in a wilderness, a dry, dead wilderness. And so often as we approach God's word, that's how it's, we feel at that moment. We feel like we're in a wilderness, like there's, there's no meat to this, there's no reality to this. And I think, is that mine? Nope. Is that you guys back there? Okay. So, okay, so we feel like we're in a dread, die, dry wilderness, like we're getting nothing out of it, right? And, and oftentimes, I think so many people quit their New Year's resolution to read their Bible for that very reason. They're getting nothing out of it. I put in our Bible, or our Bible reading schedule on the back of the bulletin a verse, 1 Peter uh, 2 verses, is it, sorry, I probably should look it up, but 3 verses 2 and 3, I think, is the, is the no, it's 2 verses 2 and 3. Okay, but it says, as, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk. I got the verse memorized at least. Okay, so as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. But then it follows, if so be that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You will only continue to read your Bible and have fellowship with the Lord in prayer if you have tasted that the Lord is good. That is an experiential word. That is a personal word. That is something more than just reading a dry academic book. It is a relational word. And I, and I think people give up on their Bible reading because they never get to that point in their relationship with the Lord. They are in a wilderness. And in our text today, Psalm chapter 63, if you look at, your, at the top of the, t of the chapter here, there's a little uh, subscript up at the top. It says, a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. David was in a wilderness just like oftentimes we feel like we are, right? He was in a dry and barren and desert place. And oftentimes when we see God revealing himself to people in the Old Testament, it was in times like that. You think of Hagar. Where was Hagar? She was in the middle of the wilderness, and she's an Egyptian woman, and yet God reveals himself to her, and she calls him the God who sees, right? And then you have uh, Moses. Where does Moses meet God? While he's tending his sheep in the wilderness, he, he meets God in a fiery, flaming bush that is not consumed. And, and here in David, David has a personal experience with God as he is in the wilderness. Historically, we believe this is as he's fleeing from Absalom, his son, who is trying to take the throne away from him. David is fleeing. And in this wilderness, God comes and reveals himself to him. And David accounts his experience with God. And so oftentimes it's in these wildernesses that we can come and we can find God in those moments. Because wildernesses, they remind us of our need for God. What's true about all wildernesses? There ain't no food. There ain't no water. <laughs> you're, it's desolate. You're, you're deprived of things that you need, right? And so wildernesses, they, they strip away all those other things that we depend on so that we can focus on what we actually need. And God sometimes allows us to go into wildernesses in our lives to strip away all those other things that we enjoy, that we, take, that we depend on to show us our need for himself. Wilderness to show us our need for God. But let's go ahead and start delving into the text here. Verse number one, we're going we're gonna to look at some of these tests that show whether you have had a personal encounter with God in your life. There are things that we see in the lives of men who have met God in the wilderness. And the first one we're going to look at is the test of desire. Verse number one says, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. As Michael's drinking some water in the back. Okay, so... But, O oh God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, right? My flesh longeth for thee, as <clears throat> for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Now, this key, the, the key test here, if you want to know whether you've had, whether you have the type of relationship that transcends just an intellectual knowledge, there ought to be a desire within you, a desire for God. Now, what is desire? Desire is a, according to Oxford Dictionary, I googled it, okay, a desire is a strong feeling of wanting to have something or wishing for something to happen. 
You could also use some synonyms. Desire is delighting, or it is wanting. It's finding your joy in something. These are, these are all aspects of desire. And so when I, when I have a desire for God, it is a yearning for him. To be in his presence, to be with him, to be in relationship with him. In Sunday school, we talked about fellowship. How can you have fellowship with somebody that you can't see or that you're not there with? But we have God. We, in fact, we have God's Holy Spirit living within us as believers. And we can have fellowship with God. And like I said, I think a lot of Christians, they miss this, this desire, this relationship with God, and that is why oftentimes we give up on reading our Bible and prayer because it's just become habit. It's become routine. <clears throat> the fact that, and honestly, really, the fact that they don't spend any time reading the Bible or praying shows that there isn't that desire, that they aren't longing for God like they ought to. And really, the question is this, what is it that brings you joy in life? What makes you truly happy? Is it laying out on the beach and relaxing? I don't know. It's the winter time, so maybe you might want the beach right now. Is it uh, uh, being on the top of a mountain and seeing the breathtaking ta taking views? Is it reading a book or watching a movie or playing a video game or something like that? Is it a person? Okay. Is it your kids? Are they what bring you joy? Is it your wife? There, there are many good things that we can find joy in. But when you get to the point that your happiness comes from God, that's when you know that you're desiring him. Because that's at the root of desiring God. God is what fulfills you. God is what brings you joy. He is what brings you happiness. One author once said that your religion is found in your solitude. It's kind of hot in here. Could I get some people to bump the temperatures down a little bit? Thank you, please. Okay, so she's fanning herself. I'm up here wishing I could fan myself. Okay, so... <clears throat> but like I said, one author once said, your religion is found in your solitude. So what, is, what does that mean? That's a kind of a deeper concept. What is it that you think about when you have nothing on your mind, when you have nothing to do? Where does your mind naturally go? Is it football? Is it basketball? Sorry, Joshua. Okay, so is it food? Is it uh, your worries even? Where does your mind go when you have nothing else to think about? That reveals something about what's important to you what it is that you find your joy in. And it should honestly cause us to think and wonder if our minds never gravitate towards God when we have nothing else to think about. Our minds never go to thoughts about him. That, that is an indication that there, we're missing something in this desire aspect. We're not desiring him the way that we ought to be desiring him. Now, in our text, the, uh, the verse here gives three different descriptions or three different yeah, three different descriptions of what desiring God is supposed to be like. He says, O God, thou art my God. First of all, your desire is supposed to be personal. There's one thing that's true. I'm, I'm the pastor. I have an obligation to minister, to serve. I have the privilege to serve and to help you grow in your faith. That is, that is something that God has allowed me to do. But there's one thing that is absolutely true. I cannot make you grow on your own. I can't do it for you. I can't make you love God. I can't make you desire him more. This is a personal decision that you have to make. And God wants a personal relationship with you, personally. Not, not Chris over here. Yes, he wants one with Chris, okay? But he wants one with you. And that, that all comes back to this aspect of you, you, we got to start with this question. How do we have a relationship with God? This is, this is where salvation comes into play. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior... You do not have that relationship, point blank. You do not have it, but you can. God wants you to. God desires for all men to be saved, right? He wants you to have a relationship with him. And that relationship is accomplished because Jesus Christ came to earth. He lived, he died on a cross, he was buried, and he rose again to pay the penalty for our sins. And so if we place our faith in Jesus Christ... We can have our sins forgiven, and that relationship with God can be restored. The Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Jesus had to do all that because we're sinners. We've all sinned. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that, that sin has separated us from God. And in creation, Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God. But 
in Genesis 3, Eve eats of the fruit of the tree, commits sin, and plunges all of mankind into sin. And now we have a separation between us and God. But God in the person of Jesus Christ bridged that gap. He paid the way so that we could have our sins forgiven and we can have relationship. But that's personal. I can't make you get saved. Okay? I can't do it for you. You've got to make that decision. But it's not just for those who are lost. God wants a personal relationship with each and every single believer. Kyle, uh, Chloe's not in here. Kyle, all the teenagers, your parents, they've grown up, they've, they come to this church, they have their faith, they believe in God. God wants you personally to have a faith, not your, not your parents' faith. I look at Sean, I think of Jim. Jim. Jim believes in Jesus Christ as his Savior. It's not enough that, that Jim believes, you must believe. And you must have that personal relationship with him. Uh, and we individually have a privilege to have a relationship with our Lord. So as a personal desire, I can't hold your hand and make you desire God. I can't make you love him more. But it is also a matter of priority. It says, oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. Early will I seek thee. Okay? That word early has the idea of eagerness or priority to it. Okay? You think about this. Prior the things that are prior prioritized in your life, they're usually the first things that you're going to get done in the day, right? You prioritize them. You make them happen. Now, this word early is not actually in the, in the Hebrew here. It's a preposition that's been added to the word. And it's called, actually called an uh, energetic nun or noon in Hebrew, okay? I think, I think of an energetic nun for some reason. Don't ask me why, okay? That's what it looks like in English, okay? But it's an energetic noon. But the idea here is that there's an eagerness to it, right? The things that you love, you're passionate about. You're eager to do them. On Super Bowl Sunday, you rush home to watch the football game if that's what you're passionate about. You're eager to get home and to do these things. And so if, we're, if we have a true desire for God, we are going to be eager to spend time with him. We are not, it's not just going to be, if I have spare time. It's not just going to be, oh, I forgot. We're going to be eager because it's a priority in our lives. We are energetically pursuing this. What comes first in your life? What is the priority? What makes up even the majority of your free time? I'll throw that extra word in there. Have the majority of your free time and I think that we must be make seeking a God, seeking God a priority in our lives. If we're truly desiring him, we must have a passionate eagerness to pursue him. But also in this verse, we see here that this desire is a pining. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. Next two phrases, my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Longing. Longing is a sense of a lack of something. How often do Christians go without spending any time with their Lord and it doesn't even phase them? They, they go through the entire day and it's, they're not even aware that they missed something. They missed spending time with God. And longing is a sense of that lack. And it's a desire for more. Constantly wanting more. <clears throat> and notice in this verse, it's, it uses the word soul. My soul thirsteth for thee. And it also uses the word flesh. Those two words are intended to show us this. This type of longing is a whole person type of longing. It is not just academic. It is not just intellectual. It is emotional. It is even physical. It is all of me involved in this. Jesus said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, how are we to love him? With everything that you are. That's how we ought to be seeking after God, pining after him. This, this is not just an accident of poetic speech here. This is a literal description, I believe, in this, in this text. This longing, it's not merely intellectual. It's not mythical or made up like we're pretending. It's not spiritual as in what I mean by that. It's not of a domain that we can't access. Okay, But it is real. It is a whole person activity. The relationship of soul and flesh here is important. Oftentimes in scripture, when you see the word flesh, it's used negatively, right? But the flesh merely represents the body and desire, bodily desires even, right? Okay. And, and most of the time, the flesh is negative because we're allowing the bodily desires to drive us. In this case, 
the soul is driving the body. The soul is seeking after God. And the flesh is longing after him because the heart, the soul, wants God. It wants that relationship. Now, let, let's, let's understand this a little bit deeper, okay? What does it mean to long after God, to pine after him, to have a desire for him? I think we see an illustration of this in Luke chapter 24, verse 32. So let's go ahead and turn there real quick. Luke chapter 24. This is after the resurrection. Jesus risen from the dead. <clears throat> Let's actually go back to verse 17. No, we got to go back to 13. Okay, verse 13. I want to read the whole story here. It says, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus drew himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden, or held shut, that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another, as you walk and are sad? So what are you talking about? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou not only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass the there in these days. And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a mighty a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and have crucified him. And we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the woman had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them. This, illustration, this passage illustrates clearly what it is like to pine after God, to desire, to long, to thirst, all of these words are words of desire. And here in this text, we see two men who are walking with Jesus Christ and talking with them, and they don't even know it. But they, they get to the, to the end of the way, and Jesus acts like he's going to continue on further, and so they invite him in, and they share, share a meal with him. And after he leaves, their eyes are opened, and they ask this question, did not our hearts burn within us? Did not our hearts burn within us? Is there a burning within you, a desire? That's what desire is, right? It's, you desire food. You have this craving for food. You, your heart burns within you for God. A passion, a desire to have more of him. That, this is what they are describing. What is it that caused them to, their hearts to burn? It says here in the text, did not, in verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way? And while he opened to us the scriptures, what did they long after? What caused their hearts to burn? It was the presence of God and it was the words of God. Those two things. God, was, God himself was standing there right there beside them and he opened to them the scriptures so that they could see the truth of this prophecy about Jesus Christ. And their hearts burned 
for these things. Think of an Oklahoma day, right? We have hot summers in Oklahoma, and which we wish we were in right now. And, and oftentimes during summer, especially unless you're Pastor Carsey's who pays a lot of money to water his grass, the rest of us, the dirt starts pulling away from the concrete, right? So because it's not gotten enough water over time, okay? That, and if you were to take a pitcher and pour the water over, over that dirt, what would happen? It would suck it all up, right? Okay, because it's thirsty. It's, it's yearning for that water. It's lacking it. It wants more of it. And so the question is this. Do you ache when you don't seem to have God's presence or when you don't have an opportunity to be in his word and to pray? Is there a desire for more? Are you hungering after him? Are you craving him? Do you miss him? That's, that's the first question. If we are going to know whether we have met with God, I think one of the first signs that we see from the life of David in Psalm 63 is a desire for God. David desired his God because he had met him before. So the first thing is a desire for God. The second sign that, or test that we're going to see here is um, seeing God. In verses 2 through 7, it says, To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up mine hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with morrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Now we know God's, God's invisible, right? First John 4 verse 12 says, No man hath seen God at any time. And yet we also know that we can see God because we know that Jesus Christ is the is God himself. And in fact, in, in uh, John 14, verse 9, it says, Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou show us the Father? Okay. So the question here is, have you seen God? Not only do you desire him, but have you seen him? And part of the answer to that is Jesus Christ. Coming to faith in Jesus Christ is seeing God. But that's not the answer to the question here in this text. When he talks about seeing God, he's talking about something a little bit differently in these verses here. I'm teaching my daughters this semester on how to study the Bible. I think this is something a lot of people need to learn. Adults need to learn it. Kids need to learn it before they become adults, I think. And so we are studying what is called the inductive Bible study method. And we've just, just begun studying this. But one of the main things that you cover is asking, and you learn this in English class too, okay? Asking the five W's and the one H. Do you guys know those? Who, what, where, when, why, how, okay? So those are key questions if you want to understand something. So we're going to approach seeing God in this text, and we're going to ask those questions. Who, what, when, where, why, and how? So the first question we're going to ask is this. Who are we seeing? Who is it that David desires to see? Okay. The answer is God himself. He says in verse number two, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Thee. You, God, so as I have seen you in the sanctuary. This experience that David was seeking after, was desiring to have, was to see God. Not getting smarter not looking good because you've done because you've done some things but it is all about seeing God. Notice here though it says in verse 2 to see thy power and thy glory. Okay? Now this is Hebrew parallelism which means to see thy power and thy glory to David he is saying is the same thing as seeing thee in the sanctuary. And what I'm what I'm deriving from that point is this. To see God's attributes is to see God himself. Think about this logically. Bible says God is love. So to see God's attributes is to see God himself. When we see God showing his love in the world, when we see God showing his love in his word, that is to see God. God reveals himself to us through his words, whether written on our hearts or in scripture, and through his works, among other things. From, the, from th this, we see what God is like. From these attributes, we know what God is like. 1 John 4, verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for God, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. So to see the character of God in God's words and in his actions is to get a glimpse of God, is to see part of God. We see his 
power and his glory in the text here. Now, where do we see God? There's two answers in, in these verses. The first one, he says, in the sanctuary. I think it should not be ignored that even though our relationship with God is personal, it is also at times corporate. God has called us as believers to be part of a body, to be part of a church, to get together with other believers so we can all experience God as we join together the church. As the Bible is taught, we all listen to those words. We all see God as he is revealed, but also as we lift up our voices to praise him, to sing praises to our God, we join together and we can all pray together and approach God. So all of these things, they allow us to experience the presence of God in our lives. We can do that together in the sanctuary, okay? But the other answer is found in verse number six. It says, when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Okay, now I'm not going to limit this to just the phrase in my bed, okay? I don't think you can only commune with God while you're sleeping, okay? But the idea here is this. It's, in, it's kind of in contrast to that in the sanctuary idea. In my bed is wherever I am, right? I can have a relationship with Jesus Christ anywhere. If you want, if you want to commune with God, that can be done at any point. In fact, the story of the, good, of the woman at the Samaritan well, okay? The, the Samaritan woman at the well. She, she, she comes to the well, and Jesus has this discussion with her. And part of their discussion is, she says, you Jews, you say we can only worship God in Jerusalem. But the Samaritans, we believe in this mountain we should worship God. And Jesus argues that it doesn't matter where, right? He says um, in verse, uh, John 4, verse 23 says, but the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship God, the Father, or shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So where do we see God? Where can we worship God? Where can we experience God's presence in our lives? It's not just limited to here. It's everywhere. As a believer, you can, you can commune with God when you're at home, when you're in bed, when you're at the grocery store, when you're at work. You can commune with God and have that relationship with him. So who, God, where, in the sanctuary, and everywhere, okay? Thirdly, the third question is, why should we long to see God? The ver that answer is found in verse number three. So it says, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Why? Because thy loving kindness is better than life. Because thy loving kindness is better than life. <clears throat> loving kindness in, the, in this text is a Hebrew word that means God's steadfast covenant love. Okay, it's, a, it's this relationship commitment that God has made to us. Because God's loving kindness shown in my life, his commitment to me as his child is sweet, it is precious, it is dear. It says here, because thy loving kindness is better than life. And I think oftentimes people try to find fulfillment and they try to find joy in so many other things. <clears throat> but ultimate fulfillment and ultimate joy ultimately comes from God himself. Because of my relationship with him, my covenant relationship that he is steadfastly committed to is better even than life itself. There is a, there is a joy that we can experience in our relationship with God. And it is because of that that we should be longing to see him, longing to have this relationship with him. In fact, Philippians 1 verse 21 says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. There is no greater pursuit that we could have than to see God, than to have relationship with him. Now, the fourth question is this, how do we see God? Okay. Can we physically see God right now? Look up into the sky, and there's God up in the in the clouds. Is that what's going to happen? No, that's not what's being talked about here. Um, but in verse number, <clears throat> verse number six here tells us how we can see God. It says, when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. This is how he is seeing God. This is, this is when he is seeing God at the same time. But it's the idea of remembering. This is why Bible memorization is so important, because you only remember what you've 
tried to remember, okay? You've got to commit it to memory if you're going to remember it. So memorize your Bible. That's, that's key. But also I want to challenge you with something else, and I talked about this during Thanksgiving time. Um, it's important that we also keep a record of everything that God has done. Remember what God has done in your life, because God speaks to us through his word and through his works, the things that he has done for us in our lives. We should remember those things. Oftentimes, we can forget how good God is because we forget all the good things he's done for us in the past. We're only focused on this moment and this bad thing that I'm going through, okay? And we forget. So the first part of this is remembering. Remember him. Remember everything that he has done for us. But then it also says here, when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. You can't meditate on what you don't remember. That's key here, okay? So you, you have to have it committed to memory. But med meditation means to think over. One of the best illustrations of meditation I, I've heard is a cow. I think Pastor Carson used this illustration, right? So a cow. Cow eats the grass, chews it up, digests it, then what does it do? Spits it back up, chews it some more, swallows it again, and does that over and over and over again, right? That's what we call rumination, okay? But it is this idea of meditation. You get this truth from God's word, and you meditate on it. You, you let it sit for a bit, then you chew it back, or you spit it back up, and you chew on it some more, and think about it some more, and meditate on it some more, and, and see God in it some more, and digest it again. And I think digestion is application. You apply it to your life, okay? And so a cow is a perfect illustration of this. God's spirit joins with us in illuminating for us a vision of God in his words and in his works. Psalm 119, verse 18 says, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. We want to see God. And so by, by remembering the words of scripture and the works of God, and by meditating on them, we can get a glimpse of God in his word. And the next one here is actually, sorry, verse number six, still dealing with this. How do we see God? Obviously, it's not with physical eyes, but it's with the eyes of faith. One day, but there is coming a day when we will physically see him. First John three, verse two says, beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. But for now, we see him with the eyes of faith as we behold how he has revealed himself through his words, and through his works. Now, the last question we're going to ask at this point is this. What are the results of seeing God? Okay? So you've seen God. What, what, what should we expect to be the result of that? The first one here is satisfaction, verses 5 and 6. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. So the result... My soul shall be satisfied. I long, I thirst after God, and God says, I'm going to just pour more of myself into, into that, that longing. I'm going to give you myself. We've talked about this in Revelations. And God, God is not sitting there wanting to starve us to death and to, and to make us miserable. God wants to give himself to us. He wants to give more of himself to us. And so he, our soul will be satisfied. And it says, as with marrow and fatness. Now, in those days... People would feast on the fat, okay? Most of the time today, a lot of you probably cut the fat off your steak. I actually like that fat, that little fat layer along my New York strip. Eat that with it, okay? It's pre pretty tasty. Pastor Carsey's, you can't have it, okay? So, but <clears throat> they would feast on the fat. That's what they wanted, okay? That's what they desired. This was the good, the good pieces because they have flavor. It's easy to chew. I don't know, okay? So, but that, that's feasting, okay? That's, that's the picture that's being presented here. It's not just, okay, I'll give you a little bit enough to satisfy you for now. God wants you to abundantly have a relationship with him. Jesus said, I am come to get, that they might have life and that they might have it, what? More abundantly, okay? He want, and that life is him. It's in him, okay? He wants to give us more of himself. He wants to give us that abundant spiritual life. He wants to give us himself, Okay? And, that, and that, that's the key. That's why when I, when I quoted 1 Peter 2, verses 2 through 3, desiring God's word comes from tasting that the Lord is gracious. Seeing more of him, getting more of him, 
creates that, that desire, and God wants to satisfy that desire for himself. So the taste is pleasing, it is satisfying to us, and it is delightful to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse number seven gives us the second result here. It says, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. There is joy. Honestly, I know that I have failed so often in this to be an example of joy because I am a very melancholy type of person. I know that. And I, and I long for the day that I could be a better example of that in, in my life for you guys. But there is joy. There is joy. I've experienced it. There is joy in knowing and communing and fellowshipping with God himself. Have you ever had that aha moment when God shows you something, shows himself to you in his word, or he reveals something? Isn't it, it's exciting to see God in his word. It brings joy, right? This joy is a result of seeking after him. And as C.S. Lewis says, what you truly find joy in, you will inevitably praise, right? If you love football, you're going to talk about football. That's the thing that's going to come out of your mouth. You praise it. Um, I think of music, right? You hear this beautiful song that you love. Pastor does this oftentimes. I think he comes into the, into the office and uh, Carrie's sitting there at her desk and he's just heard the song and he says, hey, have you heard this song? And he has her pull it up. Have you done that, Pastor? Yeah, I know you have. Okay, so you hear a beautiful song. You want to share it so other people can experience it, right? And you praise it. You exalt it. You talk about it, right? That's a natural result of joy. So that's a, and all of these things come from seeing God, from having a personal relationship with God. So as a Christian, we should be striving to have a deeper, more personal, closer relationship with God. That should be described, first of all, by desire. Secondly, by seeing God. Thirdly, verses 8 through 11, by seeking after God. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Every one that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speaketh lies shall be stopped. Really, this is a theme that's presented throughout the entire chapter because verse number one, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. And so one of the signs of a person who has experienced God, who has this personal relationship with him, is they are constantly seeking God. This word seeking God comes from the same word in Genesis when it says, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave or cling to his wife. It's the same word, okay? <clears throat> it's the idea of clinging to. It's, so it's this marriage is a perfect relationship of this. It's a, a desire. It's a oneness between them. And the idea here is I'm pursuing you, but I'm pursuing you so closely. How close am I? I'm glued to you, okay? That's, that's the idea. Husband, wife, they should be one flesh. They're glued together. Our relationship with God, we want to con constantly be glued to God. I think of, okay, my kids, okay? So you walk around the house, and you're trying to do other things, and you got that one kid that doesn't want to leave you alone. They're following you around. We say they're glued to me. They won't leave me alone, right? They're, they're constantly following me. That should be us. We should be the, the annoying little, no, okay. So we should be the little kid who is sticking so close to God that he can't get anything else done because we're, we're following him around so passionately, and I'm using that as an illustration, okay? Not that God can't get anything else done. So, but we should be like that because we are so passionately seeking him and pursuing him, right? When you have a desire for God and when you see the beauty of God, you will continually seek after him. You will want more. You will cling to him. You will stick to him. <clears throat> when we have wandered from God, the question is this, do you even notice it? Remember, God hasn't wandered from you. Jesus said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So if there's a distance between you and God, where did that distance come from? It came from you. You wandered from God, okay? But I think of the story of the prodigal son. Prodigal son, he wanted all his wealth and he wanted to spend it however he wanted to. He spent it on wine, women, and, and, and greed, basically, okay? And what does he do? He spends all his money to the point where he is now impoverished in a far distant land, and he's to the point where he has to eat the stuff that the pigs have left behind, okay? That's, that's how impoverished he is. 
and he wakes up to his senses. He decides, you know what? If I would just go home and be a servant of my father, I'd be doing better than this, right? So he goes home. And as he is walking up to the house, what do we see? We see the father with open arms running down the hill to come and to greet his son. The father is eagerly waiting for his son to return. John 17 verse 24 says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Jesus praying to his father reveals his heart to us there. What does Jesus want? He wants to be with us. That's what he said. I will that they would be with me. He wants relationship with us. He wants to be there. So if we have a distance between us and God, it's not because of him. It's not what he wants. It's because of us. We've wandered away. We've, we've taken a step back. Verse 9 through 11 gives us another aspect to this as well. Verse 9 says, But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. And we would think maybe these verses seem a little bit out of context, but they aren't really. Um, understanding, again, David's running from Absalom and from his army who is seeking after him. But how does this apply to seeking after God? I think really the reason David mentions this is because of this fact. Nobody can take that relationship away from you. Once you have it, once you are walking with God, nobody else is going to take that away from you. And notice the very first word of verse 9, but. It is a but. So he is contrasting this with what he just said before. So, and what did he just say? My soul followeth hard after thee. I am clinging to you, but those that seek my soul to destroy it, they shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They cannot take me away from you. And then verse 11, he says, but the king, that's himself, shall rejoice in God. They can't take this away from me. I will rejoice in God. I will have this relationship with my father. No one can take your, your relationship away from you. Your parents can't do it. Your boss can't do it. An army can't do it. Even death can't take it away from you. The only one who can keep you from having this kind of a relationship is you yourself. You are the only enemy that, that can separate you from God. Satan tempts us to forsake God. The world entices us. But ultimately, we're the ones who make the choices. We're the ones who choose to step away from God. Even without the world and Satan, we would allow our own fleshly desires to come between us and God. We don't read the Bible because we have desires for other things. We Maybe it's, I keep hitting on this, the football game or watching TV or playing a video game. That's you. You decided that. You made that a priority. You walked away from God at that point. You said, I don't care. I'm not going to spend any time with God. Okay? We don't pray because we're too tired in the morning. I understand the need for sleep. I understand being tired. But, uh, but you, you're still making a choice if you, don't, if you don't do it at all. If you say, I'm never going to pray throughout the rest of the day, it just doesn't matter. You made that choice. That's all on you. Okay? We allow hobbies. We allow excessive work, reading, playing, activities, parties to get in the way. And in the end, what's left? We have no time for God. But whose fault is that? Did God walk away from you? Did God make your life so busy that you have no time for him? No, that's you. You chose those things. It goes back to priority. Again, what we talked about at the very first point. You failed to make God a priority. And you walked away from him. And so if, if you don't have this kind of a relationship with God, a personal, passionate relationship with God, the fault is solely your own. It is not God himself. And we need, to, we need to be desiring him. We need to be seeing him, and we need to be seeking him. <clears throat> There's more to Christianity than memorizing the doctrines of the Bible or coming to church or participating in ritualistic services. God wants a personal, passionate, and prosperous relationship with us. All of these points, they are a test of your relationship, but they are also a process to having this relationship, craving God seeing God in his word, seeking after him. There are all ways that we can have this type of personal relationship with God. If you want to experience God more in your life, you must desire him, you must see him, and you must seek him. Um, honestly, <clears throat> this is probably the number one message I could give to you. It's the thing that matters to me above everything except for salvation. 
you need to be saved. If you do not know Jesus Christ, you need to be saved. But after that, this comes at the top. This is why my, my life verse is Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. But the first phrase there, that I may know him. Be saved and then passionately pursue and know your God. Honestly, if I were to die tomorrow and this is the only message you ever heard, this is the only message that you got across to you, I would have been successful as a pastor. This is what I need you to, need you to get. God wants a passionate, personal relationship with each and every single one of us. If my children can get this relationship, I have been successful as a parent. Everything else will, t will take care of itself. This is why I preach against sin, because sin is what keeps you from having this type of relationship. This is why I preach on the church, because that's part of the picture on how we have this type of relationship. This is why I'm going to be preaching on the home this next year, because if the home life isn't right, your relationship with God isn't going to be right as well. And I could keep on going. But once you are saved, this is the treasure that you must pursue. And above all things, get this treasure. Get God. Desire him, see him, and seek him. For only then will you truly find that satisfaction, that fulfillment, and that joy that is talked about in Psalm chapter 63. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll have a time of invitation this morning. As Carrie plays the piano, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, the altar is always open up front. If you want to come talk to one of us, we can show you how you can know him. If you're a lady, we'll partner you with a lady. If you're a man, one of the men will take you out and we'll, we'll show you from the scriptures how you can know Jesus Christ. For those who do know Jesus Christ as their Savior, this is the challenge. This is the main thing right here. Know God. Passionately pursue him. Seek him. Desire him. And see him.